Well, guys, uh, I get the honor of kicking off a new series today, which is a lot of fun. Um, we're going to continue to work our way through Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we're calling this next series Treasure, because we all have different treasures that shape and influence the way that we live. Uh, and in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is going to challenge us to get very, very honest about whether our treasure and our trust are in God and his kingdom of love, or whether we're actually chasing treasure someplace else entirely. Um, let's take a look at today's scripture. I'm going to read it all the way through, and then we'll come back and unpack it. He says, And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know that they're fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to your Father who's present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where thieves don't break in and steal them. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a big statement that Jesus is making. Because he knows that what we treasure most sets us on a trajectory for our life that can either bring us unbelievable joy and freedom, or it can bring us immense levels of pain and weariness. So over these next eight weeks, we're going to challenge ourselves to get honest with God, with ourselves, about where our treasure really lies. And the good news we're going to unpack today is this. I can live for the approval of others, or I can live from the love of God that's already mine. The first is exhausting because it never ends. And the other is transforming because God's love never stops. The reward is what happens in me, not what others see. And the treasure I want is the treasure that I'll get. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to start off with some honesty and vulnerability here, uh, which means it's time for a good old Meadow Heights confessional moment, which we love. Um, I'm always willing to go first, so here goes. I am a hypocrite. I am. And I'm willing to bet that most of you are too. <laughs> so let's test this theory a little bit. Um, how many of you, when you're going over to visit friends or family, you insist to them, please do not clean up your home. Like, don't, don't tidy up before we get there. We just love you. We want to see you. We don't even notice. Like, I, I tell my husband all the time, that this is like a bellwether for me of whether a friendship has arrived, if they're willing to like let me see their unfiltered life on its worst day, and they don't make apologies for it, they just invite us in. Like I feel like they must really trust my love, and they feel safe with me, and that just like makes me so happy. Now, anybody else feel the same way? Like, like you don't have to clean up for us. We just want to see you. We love you. Yeah, those of us who just raise our hands. What did we do the last time we found out we were getting unexpected visitors? <laughs> you panic cleaned, didn't you? <laughs> I know, because I do it too. Because I'm kind of a hypocrite that way. Maybe you're not type A like I am. Maybe this is not how you roll. Uh, but let's use another example. If you're a parent in the room, do you have uh, any strict like limits or rules about screen time for your kids? Maybe you, at least once you've lectured a teenager about the dangers of social media or the way all that time on their phones is going to rot their brains. Parents, grandparents, let's be honest about this. We, we do this, right? Now, 
How many of you same parents have had to ask that same kid to repeat themselves because you were mindlessly doom scrolling on your phone and you weren't paying attention? Yes, okay, we've got some honesty in the room. Like, sometimes we have these moments, we all have them, where what we say doesn't match up with what we show we believe. And that's literally the definition of hypocrisy. That's what it is. So a little background info about the word hypocrite. Originally, this referred uh, to a job. It was like a person who was a paid theater actor, and they would literally put on these large, ridiculous masks and pretend to be someone else for entertainment value. And that's exactly what we're doing when we try to pretend to be something we're not or believe in something more than we actually do for the sake of someone else's opinion. We're putting on a mask. And when these original hearers, these first century uh, people, would have heard what Jesus said, that's the picture they would have had in mind. When he said, and when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites, they would have imagined someone literally putting on like this big, gigantic mask with an exaggerated frown and tears painted on. Like That's what they were picturing. Also, they could put on an act for the crowd. I want you to understand how jarring this metaphor must have been to these first century people who are hearing this. Jesus was taking on the most respected religious leaders of his time. He was basically saying they looked utterly ridiculous and that these big public displays of piety were all just an act. He said they distort their faces so people will know they're fasting, but I assure you, they have their reward. When he says they have their reward... What he's saying is the only benefit they're going to get from this big show they're making of fasting is that people are going to think that they're super holy. But God's not impressed. He's not impressed with the show. Jesus was completely dismantling their religious scorecard here. He was throwing it out. Now, he wasn't telling people to give up the practice of fasting. In fact, he starts the passage by saying, when you fast, not if you fast. Jesus doesn't have anything against fasting here. He himself had just emerged from a 40-day fast in the desert. What Jesus was against was people who were fasting for the sake of gaining other people's approval, instead of fasting to draw nearer to the heart of God. Because he knew that we get to choose. I can live for the approval of others, or I can live from the love of God that's already mine. And the first one is exhausting. we got to keep it up. It never ends. The second one... It is transforming because God's love is never going to stop. And the reward that we get is what happens inside of us, not what people see on the outside. But the treasure that we want is the treasure we'll end up getting. The Pharisees got the treasure they really wanted. Everyone was impressed by how holy they seemed to be. They were like, oh my goodness, look at them. They must have really been fasting for a long time. Look how terrible they look. But if they want to keep that treasure, they have to keep up the act which means they have to level up. They have to keep doing it. They have to put on bigger displays to continue to earn people's admiration and to one-up the guy down the street. But Jesus invites us to let go of that, to live from a heart that's rooted in the love of God that we already have. And then we get to approach these spiritual practices, things like fasting or reading scripture or blessing our neighbor, as opportunities to just spend time with God and to participate alongside him in his kingdom of love. He goes on to say in uh, verses 17 and 18, When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. 
little side note, Brian texted me about a week ago. He was like, maybe you should show up with, like, matted hair and, like, looking like you haven't taken a shower in a week or something. <laughs> like, I decided to spare you guys that and listen to Jesus' instructions instead and also, like, spare my family the embarrassment. Um, anyway, so when you fast, brush your hair, wash your face, just to act normal in that way. Then you won't look like you're fasting to people, but only to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, one of the things that I think we're at risk of is reading something into this passage that's not really there. Is Jesus saying we need to hide the good things we do? No. Like, he's not saying that we need to put on a different kind of mask so nobody but him is going to see or know how we're living out our faith. I think a really helpful distinction for us to keep in mind is that there's a difference between the phrase in secret that he uses here and the idea or the concept of being secretive. So uh, he's not asking us to be secretive. He's not asking us to hide stuff. That's not how Jesus rolls. That's just another way of pretending. In fact, around here, we love to tell stories of hikers who are living and loving like Jesus and blessing people in our community. When Jesus says that the Father sees what's done in secret, he's not talking about us trying to earn a bunch of browning points by, like, doing random acts of kindness without getting caught. That's not what this is. He's saying that God meets us in reality. He meets us where we really are, and he knows what's really going on in our hearts, what's really motivating us from our core. In this passage, Jesus is reminding us that the only audience that really matters is the one that can see the heart our Father God. And what we know about him is he already loves us with an unchanging, never-stopping love. So we're free to let go of the opinions of others. We're free to just live from that love and let him guide us out of his love. Now, if I see people, and, and I'm doing this, and people see what's going on, and it points them to Jesus, that's great. And if we're doing this, and we're living from love, and people don't see it, Or they see what we're doing and they don't get it. They don't understand or they judge it. That's also okay. Because the thing is, people's approval isn't the thing that's motivating us. What's motivating us is God's heart and his love for us. I get to live for the approval of others or I get to live from the love of God that I already have. The first one's exhausting because it never ends. And the other is transforming because it's never going to stop. And the reward is what happens inside me not what people see. But the treasure I want is the treasure I get. So what did Jesus say about treasure and rewards? The last part of that passage says, stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, where moth and rust eat them, and where thieves break in and steal them. Instead, collect treasures for yourselves in heaven, where moth and rust don't eat them, and where thieves don't break in and steal them. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, again, this is a passage we've probably heard a lot. Um, I think a lot of times we've misunderstood this. Uh, And I love how Sky Jatani talks about this common misconception of this passage. He says, we assume this is a call to delayed gratification. We assume that what Jesus means is, rather than enjoying life now, serve God and his kingdom. And then you'll be really well off in the age to come. But Jesus is speaking of something different here. He's talking about a treasure that's accessible to us right now and that this treasure is the presence of God in our lives. We don't have to wait until some future time or even after our bodily death to access God's presence and the gifts he possesses. 
Jesus' point is that having the treasure of God is far more valuable in this very life than any treasure the world might offer. Now, Brian's going to unpack this a little bit more a little later on in the series, but this idea of storing up treasures in heaven, it's not about getting an extra snazzy mansion someday in heaven. (laughs) I think that's a picture some of us maybe were given. It's so much more about the natural rewards and consequences of living for the presence of God in our ordinary, everyday lives. And yes, those are rewards that do point us toward the kingdom to come. But they're also rewards we get to experience right now in our daily lives as we practice living rooted in God's loving presence. I think one of the rewards is just the freedom of not having to pretend, not having to try to constantly perform to gain other people's approval because we already know that God loves us and that's not going to change. What a treasure that would be. What a rewarding life we would get to live right now if we really trusted God's love to be the thing that guided us and affirmed us instead of trying to chase public acclaim or possessions or money or status or any of the other temporary treasures that we end up chasing so much of the time. I get to live either for the approval of others or from the love of God that is already mine. The first is exhausting. It's a hamster wheel that never ends. And the other is transforming because God's love will never stop. It'll never give up on us. The reward is what happens inside me not what people see. And the treasure that I want is the treasure that I get. I've noticed a lot lately how this uh, good news has been showing up in my parenting. Um, I think all of us, if if you have kids, you kind of want your kids to have that kind of quiet internal confidence in who they really are so that they're not anxious all the time or like, you know, trying to do things just to go along with the crowd that maybe they know they shouldn't do. And I've often tried to reinforce this or build this into my kids by talking to them about how unique and wonderful they are just as they are. And it's important for them to hear that from me. It is. But I've noticed that my language around this has been shifting the last few years, and I'm spending a lot more of my time reminding them of what God thinks of them, who he says they are, that he says that they're his much-loved children, and that... He's going to love them. His love is perfect. It's unchanging. It's steady. It doesn't vary based on their performance day to day or moment to moment. And when my kids lean into that truth, when I can imagine them really embracing that that is true about them, they are free to be exactly the people he made them to be. They're free to allow God to do his transforming work in them according to his plan and timeline, not mine and not anybody else's. And then they're free to join him in the work that he uniquely designed them to do in this world. No matter what anybody else thinks of it. Whether they find that that worthy or right. Because they get to choose too. And they're going to get to choose to live for the approval of others. Or to live from the love of God that is already theirs. The first one is exhausting. I don't want to watch my kids live on that performance trap. The other one. (laughs) The other one will transform them because it's always going to be there for them. It's never going to stop. And the reward will be what happens in them, not what people see or think of them, including me. But the treasure they want will be the treasure they get. But guys, for them to trust that that good news is really true, they actually need to see me live like it's true. They need to be part of a community of faith full of people who are living like this is actually true. 
so that they can encourage them and remind them to keep pursuing treasure that actually lasts, that's real. There's this quote that I read from uh, Dallas Willard. I just love his writings. Uh, and it's been echoing in my head all week. He said, if we honestly compared the amount of time in church spent thinking about what others think or might think with the amount of time spent thinking about what God is thinking, we would probably be shocked. Whatever position in our life, if our lives and work are to be of the kingdom of God, we must not have human approval as the primary or even main or even major aim. We must lovingly allow people to think whatever they will. We must lovingly allow people to think whatever they will. That has been just like rolling around there all week. And as I've wrestled with this passage in the Sermon on the Mount over the last couple of weeks, really, oh my goodness, God has opened my eyes so many times to the ways that my actions and my choices really reflected that I was trying to manage other people's opinion of me more than like living from the fullness of God's love for me. And maybe as we're talking about this this morning, you're thinking of some examples yourself, and you're kind of having your eyes open to that same thing. I think most of the time when we find ourselves living to gain the approval of other people, we're often anxious, we're insecure, inconsistent, hypocritical, and ironically, we probably don't project the kind of put-together image that we're going for in the first place. But when we're living from a place of rootedness in God's love, we can peacefully and lovingly allow people to think whatever they will. Because we already know that God loves us. (laughs) We don't need to chase everybody else's love and admiration. We already have his. This is what our third practice of the 10 practices for becoming looks like, by the way. We've been talking about these practices. We're going to talk about them all year. We've been talking about the third one all month. It's I surrender to God's love. And what surrendering to God's love means is you just act as if it's true. What if we acted this week as if we already had all the love we need in God? I want to challenge you to actually practice this. Like this week, when you notice yourself feeling tempted to defend yourself or brag about your accomplishments or maybe pretend to be someone or something you really aren't, simply pause, kind of step back, and we're going to walk through these three practices for becoming. The first, you just notice and name that you're feeling tempted to do things solely for the sake of somebody else's approval. Just say, God, I'm really feeling tempted to defend myself here, to explain. I'm really feeling tempted to, you know, chime in on that topic so that I feel like I belong here. Don't judge it, just name it. And then second, we choose what we want more. Do you want to live the kind of life where you need to constantly perform to chase other people's temporary approval? Or do you want to practice living from a place of of God's love that you already have? And then that third practice is to surrender to God's love. Maybe even remind yourself, okay, in this situation, how can I lovingly allow people to think whatever they will? And then just act in that situation as if God's unconditional love and acceptance of you are actually true. Because they are. They are true. Which means you get to live this week, either for the approval of others or from the deep well of God's love for you that you already have and cannot lose. The first will exhaust you. It will never end. You will constantly be chasing that treasure. The other one you already have, and it will keep transforming you because God's love never stops, and his plan for you is going to continue. The reward is what happens in us, not what people see. 
but the treasure you want most is the treasure you'll get. I want to give us all an opportunity to practice honesty with God in that secret place right now. So they're going to like lower the lights and put on some music so we don't hear all the little things that can distract ADHD people like me. Um, I want you to just go ahead and close your eyes and just take a few deep breaths. I want you to remember that God is present with you right now. He's always present with you, (laughs) but we don't always consciously take the time to be aware of his loving presence. Not just for us as a group, but to you. He's present to you. He sees you, he's with you, and he loves you completely. I just want you to sit in that for a minute. And now I want you to just ask God to just show you anything that he wants you to notice about what kind of treasure you've been chasing lately. Have you been wearing yourself out on that hamster wheel trying to chase other people's approval? Have you been pretending to be something or believe something you really aren't or don't? Ask him to show you what's really been motivating you lately. And just take some time to listen. And finally, just take a moment to honestly name to God what you want most. Maybe what's been motivating you, what you just noticed in that time, isn't what you really want to be motivating you. We call this a practice because choosing what we want more takes repetition and practice. So what do you want? Do you want to live for people's approval? Or do you want to live from God's love? And allow him to guide you to the treasure of experiencing life fully in his kingdom. You can be honest with him about that. Do so.
Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're grateful that it never stops, that you're always present with us, always loving us, always at work in our lives for our good and for our transformation. Father, I pray that we would be more aware this week of the ways that we try to put on the mask and pretend to to be something that we aren't, of the times that we're wearing ourselves out, chasing approval, instead of starting from a place where our feet are firmly planted in your love and allowing you and your loving presence to guide us through our lives. No matter what's been motivating us, God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to choose you, to choose to trust that that love is real and that you're there to guide us. I pray that we would surrender to that love this week and act as if it's actually true and become more aware of your presence, more aware of your guidance, more aware of your love in in just our ordinary, everyday moments. We're grateful. Grateful for your love. Grateful for the opportunity to constantly come back to that centering reality that you love us. You're there for us. We want to choose you. In your name, amen.